in this episode. The last thing you never know who is watching. Oh my goodness, it's, it's incredible. But there's so many good stories. I won't bore everyone with all these more stories. But um, for all the athletes out there, you guys playing so many competitive tur tournaments, both male and female, and you are all over the place, right? And so um, the more that we try to be somebody that we're not, the which we're going to be ourselves. And so we got to be ourselves first and foremost. And then secondly, hey, if they're there to watch that picture, that might be my opportunity. If they're street clothes and nobody knows who that person is, but it's really a, a pretty powerful coach or whatever it might be, like they're watching, right? People are watching all the time. And so um, for the athlete out there, man, just be yourself, play your game and have fun. Right? Three is a good opportunity, not obligation that I have to go to these things. Like, you get to go to these big tournaments, all these national showcase things and playing in your program. I know they do. That's a blessing. You're lucky to do that, right? Treat it as a blessing and as a great opportunity. First, oh, I have to be here. This sucks. What if I don't get seen? What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of The Closing Pitch. My name is Spiker Helms, and this is a show about people, culture, and how to create a winning lifestyle. Um, Dave is more business-esque than I am today, except I have the shoes and he has the sandals. You can't um, see the sandals, so that's it true. Matter. It doesn't really matter, right? Only so, above here, um, guys. In this episode, we're getting we're approaching the beginning of the season, and I think this is going to be more tailored towards high school guys than anything else. And the reason for that is when I was playing, recruiting was more of a mental game than anything else. It wasn't really a talent perspective. Like whatever you have, you have your skill set that you have, um, but then the grind of like staying consistent and not knowing when that big day is going to happen where you have three or four scouts in the stands and then you have to perform or even performing and not knowing that there's a scout in the stands and then it ends up being your day and you get a call from um, a pro scout and the next thing you know he makes a whole bunch of phone calls for you so like it, things things happen on the recruiting trail that can be um, a little unexpected but the thing that you can expect is that the mental side is going to absolutely tear you down. And I never had a guy or a gal to help me through that. It was mostly <laughs> my parents. And luckily I had a dad that played college football. So he kind of knew what the grind was, but like back in like the sixties and seventies, they didn't have like the recruiting circuit that we have like nowadays. So it was more of like, Hey, do you want to play? Well, I don't have any other options, so might as well. Right <laughs> uh, now it's like, there's so many players trying to find so few spots. The supply of players is very little versus, um, or the supply of players is a lot versus the uh, supply of teams. So it ends up becoming a little bit of a heartache. So we're bringing on a guest because I am not the expert in this. I can tell you stories, war stories, but I, um, from a psychological standpoint, I did not study that in college. So I am not the right person. I can give you kind of a hint of where to go. But um, we're bringing on Austin Byler from Major League um, University. University. Sorry, I always go like Major League Baseball. I'm like, it's not major. Like, keep on go. I keep on going to that. When I was typing it in, I was like, Major League. It's University, which is a great name, by the way, because that it's going to stick in your head right away. But Austin, explain who you are, um, your background, and why you're the right man for this conversation. Yeah, fellas. Well, thank you for having me on. And it's great to see you guys and, and all that you guys do for for others. And for me, I um, grew up in Arizona, played all baseball at the University of Nevada. Uh, and that's really where this all started to kind of hit home. Um, before this, it really happened when I was 13 or 14 years old. I remember my mom, she sat us down to watch this show called The Secret. Maybe you guys have heard that 
before, but all about like positive thinking, law of attraction, all this other stuff. And to be honest, I just wanted to call of duty and I'm going to watch this, this show. And she said, Oh, you and your brother are going to come down here and watch this. We're going to watch this as a family. And so we watched the secret and it's all about the law of attraction and how you can attract things in your life. I think possibly doing the right thing to other people and for people. And I saw all these amazing things happen in my mom's life. And uh, at that point, same thing. I just want to play video games and play baseball. And I started to just watch, right? I'm a young dude and I'm just watching her and her grow her business, what she's doing and the mentality that she took into her life and, and that transformed her business. So we started with vision boards and I started to see everything start coming true for her. And that, that really kind of planted the seed at a young age. Uh, once I got to college, it was my junior season. We had three different sports psychologists come in. Uh, and really a sports psychologist, we had one sports psychologist, then Alan Jigger as well, teaching us meditation. Uh, meditation and then this guy Dean Wellams with team performance doing a lot of team culture and team building and um, all three people I really looked up to and inspected and I saw uh, specifically in team elite performance with Dean something that I wanted to do one day I wanted to go work with teams I wanted to help build team culture help with with athletes mindsets and help them navigate this whole system that they go through and the, the whole journey of being a, a collegiate athlete and so that's really where it all kind of stemmed from um, a little bit of schooling and background in that but not too much from a life experience through minor leagues and um, professional baseball as well as collegiate baseball and just taking a lot from what I've learned from other sports psychologists or people that we've had the opportunity to work with and, and mixing it into our own and so you guys you run camps as well as clinics um throughout the United States correct yes sir we'll do camps clinics a lot of team workshops uh for whether it's club ball college high school um really any any level and then so at any any, any age group basically yeah, any age group. Um, most predominantly, it's high school, college, but we'll still navigate in the youth because I, I really don't think there's too young of an age to learn any of this stuff. It's just the way that you present it has to be a little different, right? You got to be a little more creative with it and more engaging. And uh, you can't give a 60 minute keynote standing there and talking to a bunch of 12 year olds. You lose them. So I play a lot of games with them. And there's a lot of parallels and just analogies that we can kind of take in those and, and help these athletes just have certain things. And then we always take them through our breathing techniques and those types of things. Because I mean, you're never too young to learn. And maybe it plants that seed for one of these young athletes. So speaking and um, mental performance, it's, it's a tough gig. Like if you, if you know what you're talking about, it could be really a good thing. Like you end up just exploding, but how, why did you end up choosing taking this route over any other route that you could potentially take? Cause again, this is, it's a, it's a pretty well, tough, tough you, spot. Yeah. And it's, in, it's definitely a topic too, that, you know, everybody knows they need, but never wants to dive into. Yeah, because like I mean, if I if it was me, I'd have to admit that right. I, there's I have to admit that there's something mentally wrong right. with me, right? Which right. a lot of people aren't gonna do. <laughs> yeah, ego creeps in, right? And and we all have that kind of shell that we, we put on, especially as, as men, right? Specifically, but uh, you think about anywhere from sixteen to twenty two year old athletes, male athletes specifically, we're not gonna admit what's wrong with us or what we might feel is wrong in our emotions. And when you see an athlete open up, and get vulnerable, it's incredible. I mean, I do a lot of one on one coaching and got to coach a, a, a young man who's a school here in the mountain west on the west coast and, um just talking through these things with these guys and seeing them break through their shells and actually be able to communicate with someone and it's just another voice but for me the reason why i got into it through my own personal experience um i've always wanted to do something like this of speaking i've had opportunities to get into professional baseball and pursue that route but it never really sat with me i didn't want to have the typical nine to five and i know that's not the nine to five but you're pretty much stuck with that organization and um, not that that's a bad thing
thing, but I like freedom of being able to travel the world and get to go speak um, all over the country to different programs. And so that's really where I've kind of stuck and, and gone with and we started in 2018. It was really just a hope and a dream. And we, we thought about some things. We tried a lot of things. We failed a ton and we still fail a ton, but we really found a, a philosophy a system that's been helping a lot of athletes and, and, and teams. And that's been very beneficial. So for us, it's been a, a lot of word of mouth, right? We do a lot of stuff on social media, but really the only way we get in, not only, but the main way is word of mouth, right? People who trust us and to share that word with other people. And um, it's been a lot of fun. And it's really cool to see those breakthroughs for these athletes. What do you, uh, I know I, I didn't put this in the show notes, but what is your thoughts on the whole anxiety thing for athletes, how that came about right before COVID? Um, and then it kind of picked up a little steam after COVID. And yeah, we, have, we haven't really heard much about it since um, the docu on the player from Las Vegas who was in the Cardinals organization. What's your thoughts on anxiety right now? Yeah, it's, it's a huge thing, right? We go and uh, some of the things that I do are, are school culture. And so we'll sit down 250 high school students, which you don't imagine how that goes from freshman to senior. It's a chaos, but we find a way to make us where the engagement comes in. And we'll ask questions like that. And I would say in the, through this exercise, 75% of the, the students in there cross the line on these questions of, do you experience anxiety or depression? Now I put that in athletic terms. And if you, you, you hit it in the very beginning about the recruiting system, and right now we're, we're at an age where college baseball has never been older and better, right? I feel like we have so many good athletes that it makes it easier for you to get into schools if you perform really well, like Air Force dude going to LSU. Uh, but also it's really difficult for that high school senior who's a borderline division player and he's looking for a home and they just don't know where to go, right? Guys and gals. So um, for us, I think anxiety is a, a big thing. For me, I, I experienced through college and professional baseball. That was my first real uh, interaction with it. I didn't know how to do it or navigate it. And that's where those breathing techniques come in and self-talk really is a big deal. But in our day-to-day, -day, man, there's a lot of athletes struggling with anxiety. And for me, it's really just a feeling, right? It's like, how do we give in? Do we talk to ourselves more, listen? to ourselves more do we give in to those emotions that we're feeling or do we learn a way to navigate through those and process through them and have people to talk to and unfortunately a lot of our athletes feel this way to the pressure that they either put on themselves or they feel from coaching staffs parents or just instagram and, and social media and to me after covid it's, it's really spiraled because you lose two years of school for most part if you're in california you lose 10 years of school for everyone you lose all these years of school and there's no in-person interaction so if you think about the upper sophomore, junior, or senior in high school, most of them missed eighth grade or freshman year of high school and their graduations, and they never had that in-person interaction. And so they missed, they're two years behind. And so the anxiousness that you feel when you get on TikTok and you always feel like you got to keep up with the scrolls. And unfortunately, there's not a lot of parameters and barriers that uh, we put on our athletes or kids even um, with these types of devices and the things that they have access to every single day. Yes, it's a blessing to have so much information, but sometimes it's information overload and you feel like you're behind. And so I, I think that's where those anxious things come from for a lot of athletes. So would you define like anxiety as more of like you're worried about what's going to, what the future holds? Yeah, I would say more worried about the future or even fearful of the past. Right? I think it goes both. Like, hey, what if I make another mistake? I'm anxious to go try this again. I'm fearful of trying it again. I'm not going to do it. Or just the worry of uncertainty in the future. I think uncertainty produces a ton of anxiety. And for uh, the athletes specifically who are seniors who maybe don't have a spot yet in college, this summer is kind of make or break for them. And they're talented enough. Even their coaches know they are, but they just don't have that opportunity yet. Uh, it can be a really uncertain time for them. 
them, and that produces a lot of those anxious feelings, which then transpire on that field, and you see it in their player, you see it in their walk, and you guys know better than anyone because you're there front and center with these athletes. You can tell when something's off with certain guys, and when they're carrying a load, they have baggage on their back. And so I'll say it's definitely a lot of fear of the future uh, is where a lot of this anxiety stems from. So then how do you create that certainty? It's all you got it's self belief, man. You got to it's daily work, right? And it's the work that we don't always want to do, and that's introspective, right? It's looking inside and, and getting to know yourself better and be okay with who you are. Uh, and the thing that I like is like, man, how do we give ourselves some grace every once in a while and forgive ourselves? Right? We're gonna make mistakes, but in a game of failure, so many athletes want to be perfect, and if we aren't perfect, we feel like we're not gonna play or get signed. And um, you hit something on the head early about just like luck and opportunity. And there's an athlete that we've worked with who happens to he's going to the University of Nevada next next year now, and he just signed as a senior in high school with literally this week. And, um, he only got seen because of a pitcher on the other team. The coach came out, watched the pitcher on the other team because they wanted to sign the pitcher who's younger. And they see this dude rake the pitcher. When he comes back the next week, this guy gets off another guy and he has a lot of success. And so because the coach came and saw this dude twice and gave him an opportunity, he got that chance. So, um, it's just crazy out there, man, with the, the recruiting world and what these athletes are struggling with. But more importantly, you've got to do the daily work, right? I call it like eating the veggies, right? I got to the veggies to get the cake. And so mm-hmm. what are the days, things that I can do each and every day that can help build self-confidence within my routines that are off the field? Some of it's mental game, right? Like meditation or visualization, journaling and things. But you got to do it work for you. Some athletes are never going to sit down and write in a journal. I have other athletes who, man, they fill that thing up and they're rolling through it and that's their deal. He's like, and I think the other day, he's like, man, I go through it and process through why I'm so afraid to fail. It's like, man, that is really, really good. But guess what? The senior in college, that dude ain't writing nothing in that journal. I mean, he just wants <laughs> to and have some reinforcement. And so we need people around us, right? A community to support us, to reinforce those beliefs that we have. But we've got to dig down deep and do the dirty work. And once they start to do the dirty work and they see some consistency in it and they keep the promises or they, they keep the promises that they make to themselves, that's where that self-belief comes from. Yeah, it's kind of hard because like if you have a, either you're going to journal, you're going to meditate or you're going to go to your community, right? And if you don't have the right people around you, that community can go against you without you realizing that they're going against you where they end up reinforcing negative thoughts rather than positive thoughts. And, um, my mom, my mom would always say that, um, if you complain, there's a, it's easy for the other person to complain and it just stockpiles on itself. Right. And so like, if you have someone that tells you the honest facts, which a lot of people don't want to do because they don't want to, they don't, well, they don't want to, hurt you they don't want to make your feelings feel bad and everything like that so then like so would you lean more towards meditation and journaling or do you lean more towards your community i love meditation man personally for me meditation changed my life like it it was it was the the the, it was a game changer and i I did it as a player and it changed everything for me just how i felt from the day-to-day process to be able to just process through things reset my mind refresh and just better and now in my daily life i won't miss it it's a huge staple. Um, for me, I'm a big fan of faith, right? Christian background and really no background in it, but because of my experience, decisions I made in college and, and professional ball, that led to my faith side. And that fills it. I think we're at a, a spiritual weakness in our world and we have a spiritual gap that what he talks about and wants to fill. And we forget what's truth, what's real, and what's what's been there since day one. And so not a lot of people like to address that or talk about that, but there's another place where your confidence will come from, right? Bigger than whatever that faith might be. It could be whatever you might think it is. Um, so those things are huge. 
and then other things that I like to do, man, that just help for me, it's giving athletes tools and ideas and then, Hey, you pick and choose works for you. So cold showers, cold plunges, however you want to do it, however you feel best with those things for me, it controls my breathing. It puts me in a stressful situation first thing in the morning so that I have to control my breath myself, get myself centered so that I can have myself talk because every day when you sit there and you get ready to get to that cold shower or the cold plunge, the only thought you're thinking is this freaking sucks, especially when you go <laughs> somewhere it's cold. When I was in <clears throat> Reno, you're getting a cold plunge at 20 degrees and it's 10 degrees outside and it's snow as a blizzard. And you're like, there's no way I want to do this today. But when you do it, you build that self-confidence, you push yourself through it. Uh, but it just takes athletes having that awareness and then and then being able to actually do it. We have an exercise, know it, do it, own it. Everyone knows the right things to do. Right? For the most part, like we all know, treating people with respect is a good thing and being kind to others, working hard. We know that. Uh, most people do it when you're around coaches. So if you guys are coaching the team, most people are going to do it. But how many of us own it when we're not being watched, when, when coaches aren't around, when scouts aren't around, when parents aren't around? Are we still owning it and being ourselves or are we trying to fit in with the crowd and what other people are doing in their trend? Setting, setting your standard, right? Mm, yes, absolutely. 100%. Can I ask a question on the meditation side? Because I've never personally tried that, but for young athletes, especially guys who are in those pressure-packed years of, you know, like, for example, the recruiting cycle like we're talking about right now, and they feel all the pressure of the world, and now they're going through a slump, and I see players all the time, literally, it looks like they're carrying the weight of the world on their shoulder with every single pitch, with every single swing, with every single ground ball, or whatever it is. You mentioned something that was that was pretty cool in, in the last uh, thing you said, was about a mental reset. Can you explain how meditation mentally resets and maybe would lower that load well, loaded feeling? Before you jump into that, first off, like I, this is gonna sound really dumb of me. Like I didn't know what meditation really was until like I'm like, oh, I'm meditating, and I didn't know if I was meditating. Right? <laughs> I'm like, I'm breathing. Is that meditating? True. Or like, I'm sitting True. in a room, silent. Like, is a Buddhist a Buddhist monk does this, right? So I'm doing the same thing True. as a Buddhist monk. So I'm I'm meditating. Like, explain meditation, because like it took me a while to really understand that, and like now I know what it is. Gotcha. But go explain explain meditation for everybody in case like there's someone out there just like me who's a dumb dumb. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, most of the world has no idea because right? we, we hear it, but it's like, oh, that sounds cool, but man, it's hippie stuff. Like, that's the hippies do what the weird people do. It's like, I'm not going to do, I'm going to be tough. I'm going to be tough. Mm -hmm. uh, for me, it's simply the ability to sit with your thoughts. And so you can do different things as meditative processes. Right? My dad, for him, like he doesn't, he's not going to sit down and breathe, right? He's old school. He just doesn't do it. But what he does is he goes and does his yard work and he puts his headphones in. He, he goes and mows the lawn. He trims the trees. He does all that. And that's his way of just escaping the world, right? And, and kind of resetting his mind, getting himself back uh, in control of himself and then goes back out into the world. Other people could be walks, right? A daily gratitude walk go outside of my work. I take a lap around the building. I say five things I'm grateful for, thankful for. And then I go back in and it's just my way of resetting. Right? For other people, it could simply just be the walk, right? Or working out is a meditative process for a lot of people. But to me, it's just the ability to sit with your thoughts. And so the example that I was uh, shared with by this, this, this sports psychologist who I thought was just such a really good example, because I like analogies and painting pictures. And so he said, imagine you're sitting on the, uh, in a lawn chair on the side of the busiest way in your area. For me, it's we have plenty of them, and so I sit myself off the I ten in Phoenix, the worst freeway in the world. <laughs> it sucks, and so I'm sitting there in my head. This is imaginary, but I, I'm, I'm picturing that I have this lawn chair. I'm hanging out, 
And there's all these cars going back. There's the Scottsdale Range Rover and, and all these sweet Lamborghinis that have all rich flat in Scottsdale. And there's like the beat up old South Phoenix, like freaking cars that are just barely hanging on. Then there's the rice burner that's loud and nobody likes. And there's motorcycle. There's all these different cars, sweet Tesla, whatever. And the sweet, sexy, shiny objects are a lot of those thoughts that we want to cling on to. And so I see the Lamborghini. I'm like, ooh, that's sexy. That's cool. I want to cling on to that and start following with that. And then it's like, boom, I see the rice burner. I, I go, my, my attention shifts. And so for us, all the cars are, are the analogy for our thoughts. And then we are just simply sitting there and, and being one with our thoughts. And so it's not uh, a lot of people, I think, think you got to sit there and be silent and not think at all. And then like, that's your meditation. It's like, no, it's actually processing through the thoughts, like breathing them in, recognizing what thoughts come to mind, good, bad, and different, right? Random or, or, or intentional. And then breathing through, processing through and letting them go. And so that's like a, a huge piece on that. And then to your point, David, too, on the reset button, um, an analogy I love is getting ready in 2020 or 2020, right before the Arizona coach high school coaches convention thing. So I'm giving a talk on the mental game. I'm nervous, right? I don't even know what I'm going to say at this point. And it's the night before, and I'm going to talk about the reset button and visualization. I'm like, how am I going to get a bunch of, um, I don't say stubborn coaches, but a bunch of coaches to buy into this when all they want to hear is the next mechanical thing that's going to change everything for their program. So I'm watching my brother play Madden, and this is how I relate it to the kids. Those kids play uh, video games. And so he's playing Madden in a fell, and he's down 33-31. He's the ball with a minute and a half left, and he starts driving down the field. And if you know my brother, he's all pass, no run. And he gets to the one-yard line with like 30 seconds left. And instead of just handing it off, go beast mode, give it to the, the running back, and just freaking plow in, or QB sneak Tom Brady style, he decides to go shotgun Johnny, drop back, and he passes it in the middle of the, the end zone, picked off by the linebacker, and linebacker goes, 40, 30, 20, and he gets to the 20 yard line. My brother doesn't say a word. He reaches over, hits the PlayStation reset button. <laughs> yeah, and goes, it never happened. I was like, that's BS, dude. I saw it happen. I watched you do this. And then it, it clicked. I was like, whoa. 12 to 18 year old athletes, even college athletes, professional athletes playing a video game. Okay, well, that's kind of their escape, how to get away. Reset button. We've all had a rage quit before in a video game, whether it's 64 or PS5, and we hit the reset button or throwing a controller. That's like my way of resetting. Now, my stats still count, right? That stuff's real. It's there. It's a part of what we do. But how do I reset my mind from pitch to pitch, game to game, at bat to at bat, tournament to tournament? Right. And that's where that power comes from of being able to recognize those negative thoughts start to creep in, process through them, be aware of them, and filter through. So you're saying that all the college coaches back in the day that made us run all those laps, that's medit that they were actually giving us meditation. <clears throat> My, my first college coach and he, he would say yes he would say, he'd say <laughs> yeah. mentally tough we're out there in the snow you're gonna run until i tell you to stop running and i'm gonna sit here and watch you in my lawn chair and this is my analogy so yeah uh, so now he's gonna say <laughs> hey pitchers go out there and meditate okay please yeah you got 35 <laughs> pulls of meditation focus on your breathing <laughs> Um, we kind of went like micro level there with meditation everything like that but i want to go like i want to go ma macro here what is what is something that you see? Cause we're in club baseball. We see it every single day. And I feel like you are more of like a Switzerland than anything else. Like you, you can see everything pretty much at a, at a, at a far distance and see what the community is doing. What, what do you think is going really well for the baseball and softball community right now? I would say the amount of people that are so open and willing to sharing information. I mean, podcasts like this, right? Like these are these are opportunities. Whether ten people or ten thousand people listen, somebody's getting value, and you never know who's watching. 
And so there's so many coaches. We go to a lot of small town communities and you're spot on. You are the Switzerland. Right? It's really nice to be in Switzerland, but sometimes like I want to be on a team too. Like where I'm yeah. like, this is us, right? But uh, regardless of that, it's, we go to a lot of small towns and a lot of the people in the small towns have limited access to people. One coming in, camp opportunities, showcases, those things, and even it's quality coaching. Now there's some great coaches in those areas who want to get better and they've utilized social media and YouTube really and TikTok to find drills and things that they can do with their teams and their athletes and so i think that's a huge piece and they always tell us like hey we're always looking for more stuff like they're so eager to learn it's just they need somebody out there to the messenger and guide them to where they want to be and so i think that's what's going really well with our community at least from my perspective is a lot of people being open about it and sharing what they do uh, you see on twitter a lot of coaches hey here's what we do for our meditation before a game or um, our hitting process or here's our approach or here's what our, our bp round look like and it's just ways for you to pick and choose things that you like to put into your own program and put it into your own ways so i think it's something that we're doing doing really well and it's never been more competitive and you can look at it as a good thing or a bad thing I see it as a good thing just because we have so much competition here. But more importantly, if you really want to play at the professional level, I don't know what the stats are, but I believe it's over 50% of my like, professional baseball is not from America. Right. And I could be wrong on that. Right. But I'm pretty sure I heard something on that line of like, there's so many people from other countries who are now in our game and they're doing it year round. And so for us, we've got to find ways to keep being progressive and help each other. And I think the baseball community has really rallied around that too. What what what's one thing that is a negative on the community right now that you'd like to see fixed? It's it's a tough one. There's a couple ones. Uh, I think it comes from the the parents sometimes, right? And I don't want to, I don't want to throw parents on the bus because parents if they don't pay for it, we don't have kids, right? There's no kids out there playing, and so they have a huge role in this. And and, and there's so many amazing supportive parents, but there are a lot of pressure on these kids to succeed and to be professional athletes at the age of 13. And I see it here in Arizona, but Phoenix has so many things. It's like, it's so watered down. There's thousands of travel teams. There's so many different things going on here that these kids have access to, which is a good thing. But unfortunately, a lot of these parents are, are forcing these 11, 12, 13, even 10, nine-year-old kids to act like a big leaguer. Your goal should be to have as much fun as you can and to stay in the game after 12 or 13 years old. And if you're good enough in high school, you're going to get seen. We're going to help you. Hopefully there's some good teams that you can go play for and those things to go get get seen. But if you're in a state like ours, you're going to get seen at some point, right? And at that point, cool, it becomes more of a job for you and you go fulfill your passion. But in the youth baseball specifically, I think that's where we're missing the gap is and we need to be there to support and encourage. We need to discipline and, and hold them accountable, right? We can miss that piece either. But I'm sorry, your son's not a big leaguer just because they're PG All American at age 13. Mm -hmm. Like nothing's been proven. You still got to go to high school and you still got to grow and, and become your own. So I think we're missing the boat a little bit there. Um, where we just it, it, sometimes it's not even knowing that we're putting pressure on them. It's just things that we say or do or how we act. But um, just putting a little too much pressure on our kids. And I think there's good things with that. But when it's overwhelming and overbearing and, and just like military boot camps sometimes man we we need to have freedom to to compete and so for athletes man if they have a positive environment that they like to go to and they want to go to and they want to go train with you that's where we're hitting the boat and that's where we're, we're doing really good yeah I, I i kind of use this analogy um is that it feels like you're playing a video game and you see the controller but you can't press the buttons to make the player do a certain thing so I feel like sometimes I feel like that way as a coach sometimes and oh, I can yeah. only imagine it's magnified as a parent. 
LeBron James had a really good um, conversation on his HBO special where he was getting, he's like, I went to my son's basketball game, uh, first high school basketball game, and I got nervous. Like, I got really <laughs> nervous. Like, I didn't know what was going on. Like, I got more nervous in my rookie year. And like, he's out there doing it. And I can't do, I can't yep. do a damn thing. <laughs> Well, it's out of our control too, and and I'm not a parent yet, and but I see it, and I even see it in my little nephew. He's five years old playing t-ball. <laughs> like, like, hey, dad, you need to just chill, dude. Like, these kids are five; they don't even know which way to run. Like, we don't need to be yelling anything right now. Like, we just support them and, and and do those. You're right, man. It's like it's so out of our control, even as coaches. But what we can do is we can help provide resources. We can help provide tools. We can help provide thoughts. We can say things in certain ways. And we just never know what athlete takes what out of our conversation. And so for you guys, man, what you guys are doing, like those athletes remember things that they take with them through college, through professional ball, into their job, to their workspace that they learned within your program even. And so that's so, such a powerful thing, what the influence that we have as parents and coaches. Yeah, we, I actually had a phone call with one of our former players before I jumped on this one and he just got done with his senior year of college. He was thinking about what his next steps were and he was still asking me for advice <laughs> and I'm like, <clears throat> bro, like, dude, you're 23. Yeah, you're 23. <laughs> I'm like, but I kept on thinking about, I was like, you know what? Like, that's kind of cool. It's, 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 <clears throat> it's unique because he still trusts what I say and has has a thought of like hey what what does spike think like i might not take his advice but um it's kind of cool that i can still call him and he picks up and i can say hey i'm i'm in limbo right now i don't know if i want to play pro ball i don't know if i want to do this go in the real world or or just hang out for a year and he I, hopefully he chooses to go do his internship in costa rica cuz i think that'd be badass but that sounds fun um <laughs> But it, but yeah, that's what I'm saying, right? But I th it's it's cool that what <clears throat> coaches can do, and then what parents can do when they do make that connection with their player. What style of coaching do you think works the best? Man, it, it's subject to the person. I think you got you got to know your personality. Uh, it's hard for an old school dude to switch and be super positive, nice guy. <laughs> you know, it's just really hard, right? You've been doing it for 40, 50 years, and now I'm 65 years old and I need to change. What? So that's hard. I think being adaptive, right? Regardless of what your style is, being adaptive and knowing your players. If you get to know your players and know what makes them tick, you might have to be hard on this guy first, the other dude who you got a baby a little bit and put your arm around him because they might have the same support system. They might carry out a bigger load. And so for us as coach, man, I don't know if there's a right way or wrong way. My, my personal philosophy and what I love is that positive reinforcement, people who create positive environment. I just, I just see more uh, success and, and consistency and where kids look like they're eager to show up to the field. Um, going into a lot of college programs, it's, it's kind of funny because when you're in high school, you look at college like this. Whoa, it's like uh, something like this foreign object. Right? Like, what the heck? Where am I going? All these coaches are supposed to be elite. And then you get there and you hear the stories and you're like, uh, that doesn't sound like the right way to treat your players. That's not the right way. You don't kick out the five freshmen and keep everyone else in that, in, in the pitcher meeting this year. Like, and this is a deep programs. And so for us, man, I think we just got to be understanding of what our players are going through, get to know them, build those relationships, even if that's not your forte or your strong suit, uh, but just being adaptive in your coaching style. Uh, and I think each way gets success, right? We've seen college world series and high school champions and, and MLB world series winners who have been really like, to the teeth dialed in like we're locking in you're not going to make any mistakes versus like the other environment where it's more free flowing and we're going to support you and we're going to be there for you so um know yourself man especially as coaches i think that's an important piece yeah i find it 
interesting that like Corbin, who's more military esque, like I I would have not survived in a program like that. But then you have more of like an Augie Garrido, yep. who it was more free flowing, get the job done. We're gonna go attack the hill. Like that's the type of coach that I would lean more towards. Which again, with recruiting, that's the hard part for players is like they. I I feel like they have like the uh, king effect where they think that this college coach is higher than mighty and he's like mm-hmm. the holy holy person, and they don't realize that this is just a man. Right. Right. <laughs> and. <clears throat> Yeah, and you end up kind of like, oh, I, I got to – not saying Evansville is a bad program. Like, I love Coach Carroll there, but, um, like, you just go – you jump onto the first D1 program when you have three D2 offers, but there could be a D2 offer that ends up being the right coach, the right fit. Better fit, yeah. Oh, it happens <clears throat> all the time, but they go over to the D1 because they think, oh, if he's D1, he must Grass be a better green. coach. Right. That's not necessarily true. You know spot, what I'm saying? You're spot on. So it's just it's it's such a mind game when it comes to recruiting and like psychologically when you get offers and or if you don't have any offers, you end up jumping on the first thing that you oh, see. For sure. <clears throat> yeah. So you hear too from coaches like in the recruiting process is hard because sometimes they're they're really good at talking. Right? Certain ones. Oh yeah. So they might tell you everything you want to hear, and then you get there, and you're like, "Wait, I'm not in as a two way." Uh, you said I was going to be a two way. I haven't even taken that bat all year. I, I was supposed to pitch, and I'm not pitching. Right? And whatever it is, it's like, I want to get you to my. I want you to my program, and especially if it's an in conference thing where somebody else might have offered you or those things. Like they can be really good at, at sweetening the pot a little, and then you get there, and you're not even aware. But that might be your only conversation with that coach. And some of these athletes make these decisions without even seeing the campus. Like I want to see where I'm going. Now it's hard because financially you got to get there you got to be welcome there all those things but at the end of the day you're spot on it's like man there would be a d2 coach who is the right guy for me who can foster my development and help me be the best that i can be and and enjoy these three four years of college experience and if i get the chance to play professionally great that'd be awesome but at the end of the day you got to go what where the right fit is for you and that's a hard thing because we don't know all the coaches very well but I think that's where, like just doing your homework, right? Research online, asking questions, listening to podcasts, listen to how that coach talks. Ah, that's not my style. Like, I don't know about that. Oh, I love what this guy's talking about. That's that's, that's me to a T. I need to go there, right? or even female. So I think that's for man. Is do your research. Um, that's like a really good point because there's a, probably a podcast with that coach, sure, out there, and you just you just went through the gauntlet like phone calls with him. And now you can actually pull up content and really like, okay, is this guy real or is he not real? Well, and you know what, you know what is honestly one of the hardest things is if you ask a hundred high schoolers who are in that process right now, what's in, what are important factors to you in terms of a college program in terms of a college? I bet you 95 of them are going to go, I don't know. They haven't thought about it. They haven't thought about what is important to them. They don't, they haven't thought about what is it, what type of coaching style is good for me. What is going to get the best out of me? They don't think about those things. They, well, don't, they don't ask those questions. They probably don't know because they, they don't haven't know had, yet. They have had. They haven't had all the coaches. They haven't had many coaches. They haven't had the conversations yet. Yeah, like, if you just think about <clears throat> it, how many how many coaches does a person have at that point? Maybe three, maybe four. Yeah. Talk about the the development years going from youth to high school. Like, do you deal with that middle school age group a lot? Uh, there's a good amount. There's a good amount. So talk, talk to me about like how, how does it go from 
like the person's perspective going from youth to middle school to high school, because at youth they're like, it's all about fun. Right. And then middle school, they start kind of formulating dreams and then high school, those dreams are pretty much solidified and then pressure just completely starts coming down on them like a lot because they have this big dream that they're trying to chase. Like, how do you, how do you handle that with those, with those players? That's a huge maturity jump from, uh, well, really your freshman year to, to sophomore year of, of high school as well as freshman to sophomore college. But when I see athletes who go from eighth grade where they're the big dog on campus to freshman year, and now they're the small person on campus and everyone wants those mustaches and beards and they have nothing, right? They're still five, four, five, five, and they're still trying to grow. Uh, it can be difficult, right? And you can look up to it as like, this is way too big. This is really difficult. But for them, I really think it's like, like you said there, they have these dreams starting to solidify their dreams. They're starting to work towards their dreams and hopefully starting to see that this could be a reality if I put in the work. Um, but it comes to the guides and the people that they have in their life. And, and unfortunately, we can't pick all of our coaches, right? And that's a difficult piece for them. But I think just preparing them for that next step as they get into high school, hey, it's going to be a little more. Um, and that's okay. It's a part of this thing. It doesn't mean that this has to be your whole life still be a kid still go out go do your thing like go to the lake or go fishing whatever you like to do and so giving them things that they like to do but um that middle school group is an interesting one because you feel like you kind of know it all at that point and then you get into high school and you don't know it all quickly and you <laughs> like i'm probably not playing on varsity and when there's a lot of competitive programs i mean some of the programs here that hundreds of kids in their high school program it's insane so you're trying to go in there and make the right choice for where you want to go. And you quickly realize like there's a lot of really good players that are all fighting for the same spots. And so for them, it all goes down to development. It's like, how can I keep that guys in continuous improvement mindset of, I want to keep getting better and better and better. And when you're eighth grade, when you're 14, 15, 16 years old, that's hard because you have access to everything else of, Hey, if you do this, you'll be here. If you go like this, you'll have the sweeper thing and you go this, it's like, it's not always that easy, right? For these kids, they got to go through it too and experience it. And um, that's where it gets a little difficult. But for them, yeah, I think it's like you said, getting that dream, like what do we want to achieve? Okay. And we have a little exercise. Who do you want to be? What do you have to do to get there? And what do you need to continue doing right now that's helping you potentially get there? I'm hitting the coach spike. Awesome. Cool. That's helping me get where I want to be. Who do I want to be? I want to be a college athlete. Great. What do I have to do? Well, I, I probably ought to do things differently than most. Like my GPA matters. Right, that's going to help me get into the next level. Um, maybe how I treat people, my coaches matter. Team I play on, maybe that matters. Right, and so it's understanding that, but then you got to have that parental guidance too. So kind of like a, a hit or miss there, but really at the end of the day, like what can we do to go into high school with the right mindset? Of, hey, I might not be on varsity my first year unless I'm at a certain score, I'm a certain talent level. But each year that I go, I'm going to keep getting better and better and better and keep improving and developing and growing as a young man. Do you think that, players are like they say they want it do you think they really want it or is it more of just like the like everyone wants to go play college baseball so they end up choosing to play college baseball or do you think they like really really want it because you've, you've seen so many players like just what, what's your perspective on that there, there's some that really want it right there's some I mean, there's some kids out there who are just they're different right they're built different and not like they're bigger better anything like that it's just their mindset I have a kid who this dude eats clean. He doesn't need any sugar. He doesn't need anything like that. The kid's grown. He's a sophomore. He's going to be a junior. I mean, he's worked freaking butt off, right? And, and, and he's done it since seventh grade. But that's when he realized he wanted to play D1 at Vandy. Now, is that going to happen? 
I don't know, right? It's a, it's a really big goal and it's a great goal. Is that going to happen? I don't know, but who am I becoming in pursuit of my goals? And maybe that per- person that he's becoming in pursuit of that goal is, is a D3 player in Iowa, right? Maybe it's a Duco player locally in Ohio. Maybe it's a D1 somewhere else. I don't know where that is for him, but he's just built for it. And there's other guys and, and girls who are like, yeah, that sounds great. Like, I want to do that. If a if coach say he wants to play college sports, I raise my hand right away. No, who really wants like who's willing to do anything that it takes and invest in anything that it takes, not financially, but just investing in yourself to get yourself to that level. Who's willing to do this? And I would bet most of the athletes, they don't realize what it takes to get there. Right. And so um, I thought maybe on our just giving them those resources and telling them, hey, look, it's, it's not just show up to do practices a week and go play your tournament every other weekend and hope for the best. Like If you want to be great, you're going to have to do things on your own. You have to be a little different than the crowd. You can't always do everything that everyone else is doing. And for some athletes, they're like, I got spring break. I got this. And there's been some controversy on this stuff and, and whatever. But spring is baseball season, dude. I don't know where anybody else grew up. But for me, spring is baseball season. I never got a spring break. All my friends went to Mexico. And we were in a tournament at our high school playing teams from Oklahoma. right? And for us, I look forward to that. I wanted to compete against them. I wanted to I would face these big, giant schools coming out west to play us and so like you've got to really dig deep and know what you really want and uh, unfortunately the other thing too is, is the the coaches who are forcing athletes to just play one sport like i would love you to play football if you're in my baseball problems you go play football because i know you're going to learn work ethic you're going to learn the weight room you're going to learn how your body you're going to be more agile and athletic yeah you might be a little further back on skill development but you get physical specimen and you're going to develop the right mindset that's going to help us win a championship so on that topic, the multi-sport athlete, from a mental performance perspective, in your opinion, how much does that enhance an athlete's mental strength? Oof, great question. Drastically. Uh, it, 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 to me, it significantly impacts mental strength. Because if, if you know what it feels like to line up on the other side of that line in a football game, and, you're, and, maybe, and, and here's the thing, too. like Some of these programs are really, really good. So now, some might not be good, and you're, and you're not well-coached, but you're going to learn something from those coaches, whether it's really tough football style or it's a basketball team and whatever it is, you're going to learn hopefully from those coaches as well that can take into your game, what you're doing in, in baseball, if that's your main sport. But for me, it's, man, you, you get to learn failure. You get to learn different skills, different sports, different adversities, different situations in games. And it also gives them a break. I, th- I think for so many athletes, say it's a year round thing now. And, and I get that we've got to be working, but they never really take a break. Right. And I think so many athletes just get burned out or it just gets mundane and it's the same thing over and over and over. And they're not at a point where it's in college where that's kind of how it is. You're going to do the same thing over and over and over. And hopefully you can get better results being consistent with what you do, but um, and keeping it fun. So I, I'm with you. I, mean, I think it, it significantly impacts your mental strength because you got to learn scenarios and games. You got to learn other things, schemes, players. You got to deal with different personalities and backgrounds in other sports too. And it's only going to make you better, in my, my opinion, for your sport. Injuries aside, all that stuff, I won't get into that, but just mindset wise, I mean, I, I told an athlete the other day, I was like, man, Here's why you, the twins, right? They're, they're both football and baseball. And like, here's why you two look different. I haven't seen you since January. I just saw you in May. Your bodies don't look the same. 
You guys are freaking jacked. What did you do this this year? Oh, we played football. Okay, cool. Freaking football. Great. It's like, what did you learn in football? The weight room. Cool. How much do you work out? Four days a week. Great. Were you going to work out four days a week in your high school baseball program? Probably not, right? In your club ball program? Probably not. And so for them, uh, they were in the weight room consistently and they learned the workout. They're in there at 6 a.m. Like, that's just creating these different beliefs and things about yourself and your confidence that, man, when I take that baseball field, I look around, I'm freaking jacked, dude. Nobody else looks like me. Hey, that should give me a competitive advantage. And this is just my, my personal opinion, but I still think it helps with time, man. There's so many things that, that multi-sports can help with. I think that's where like coaching can give you that work ethic where if you sometimes baseball coaches don't produce that weight room work ethic um, for whatever reason, old school or just not in their beliefs or they just don't have time to get, get those guys in the weight room. But in football, it's unique because you only play once a week so you can get in into that spot. That's where just kind of thinking back in my career, that's, that's literally where I got my, my engine and my work ethic was like, we're going to get it. We're going to freaking after it in the weight room. And we're just going to absolutely destroy people when we get back onto that football field. And so then it's trying to figure out how do you actually incorporate that into the baseball world, which is, it, it is tough. So, but that is definitely a good point. Like the, the second part of that, which is your work ethic and the skills that you're able to accumulate in one area, you can move it into another area, whether that's baseball or whatever sport that you're, you're, uh, specializing in. How do you, how do you deal with your athletes on like time management from an academic standpoint, um, and trying to get that peak performance, um, on the field? Cause that, that is a tough, that is a tough deal. Like a lot of people don't talk about that academic piece, but, um, what, what's your opinion on that? It's, it's difficult. I wasn't the, the greatest student, not because I wasn't smart because I chose to be as intentional as I should have been in the classroom. Probably it was just baseball, baseball, baseball. And that was really it. And so for the athletes, man, I, I, I always tell them it's very simple. Prioritize and execute. Like, let's just keep it as simple as possible. What are your main priorities in your class this week? Cool. I got math tests coming up on Friday. Great. Well, if I study for 30 minutes a day, that's only 30 minutes out of my day. That's it's very minimal time effort into it. But that gives me five days of studying for 30 minutes a day, which creates a lot of time of me putting in work towards my test, which should hopefully help me feel more prepared. So I have less test anxiety, even though I get a ton of test anxiety, usually because I'm not prepared. Right? And so now you're prepared going and you feel more confident with what you're about to do. You can tackle that test. Now, there's classes, there's teachers, there's all those things that are anomalies where it's more difficult. I just part of of life it's part of what high school is but um i i don't know i was like you need to you need to prioritize your schoolwork uh, you can get your schoolwork in before you go to the field you can find it in, in study hall hours if you have it on your school and i know some athletes who are at private schools who they're just it's just a different workload for some of these schools and they're like a college student right a lot of the college prep programs and so for the athletes, I just I highly, highly encourage that they not only take it seriously, but get help if you need it too. Like get a tutor. If you need a tutor, and there's no shame in getting a tutor. You're not stupid because you got a tutor. Now you're getting an A or a B in that class instead of a C or D. Your GPA is significantly impacted by that, which will help you get into more schools, open up more doors, and teach you that time management and those things. So for me, it's like, how do we transition? Because I think it's all about transitions, and you guys see it in work. Um, we see it in the classroom, but you wake up, hopefully eat breakfast and drink some water or do something in the morning you go to school then you go to school for your seven eight hours guess what after school you got to go to baseball practice cool baseball from three to five now i've got to go home i've got dinner after dinner do i do homework do i play video games do i talk to my girlfriend what do i do at night and so there's all these little transitions how can we get better at mastering these transitions which help us just be more consistent with what we're doing so at the end of the day it all comes down to prioritizing it 
It's like, hey, man, I'm going to get in. I'm going to do this in the classroom. I'm going to be intentional about it. I might not like it. That's OK. Right? We all love going to school, but it's a part of what I do. It's part of being a student athlete until I get to professional. If I get that chance, I don't have to worry about it. But until then, I'm a student athlete. And if I can help my chances of getting into school, I'm going to do anything I can to help my opportunity to get to college. Last last question, unless Dave has another question after this. Um, what's your biggest recommendation? These guys are head, like 16, 17 years old. They're heading into the recruiting year. NCA just came out where like 15 and 16s, they're going to be a little bit more on the back burner when it comes to recruiting. And 17U, it's putting a lot more pressure on that 17U summer um, than anything else because then college coaches are in contact with you and everything like that. Um, what's your biggest recommendation to a guy that is or a girl, girl that's going into their big recruiting year, um, and how how should they approach it? Eliminate eliminate the noise to yourself. It's so simple to say; it's a lot hard to do. But eliminate the noise. What is the noise? Social media—that's a noise, right? All the PGs, PBRs. Yeah, it's, it means something. It's cool to see it, but in the, at the end of the day, it doesn't really mean much, right? And so that's noise. Videos of other people feeling like you're behind because that 13U kid is killing it and is getting national recognition on TikTok and I'm not, right? Those things really go into that of our apps, as crazy as it is. They're high school students, they're youth students, and they're, they're dealing with these things. And they look at this all day long. And so eliminating that noise helps me play with more of a clear mind to go out and pursue my goals. And then I love running race, man. It's like, I've got my journey. You've got your journey. Your journey is going to be different than mine. You might get signed in August <laughs> before you go to college. You might get signed as now as a junior, right when the the day hits that you can sign. Right? I don't know when it is. We don't know that. None of us can tell that. Uh, but be yourself and embrace the opportunities. And the last thing, you never know who is watching. Oh my goodness. It's, it's incredible. But there's so many good stories. I won't bore everyone with all these more stories. But um, the coolest one I think I've ever heard was there was a bullpen catcher. And the guy went in and his coach was watching. It was in the Northeast. It was at Niagara, University of Niagara, I believe is what the name was. And so the, the bullpen catcher is catching in between innings to help the other guy who just hit and just getting his gear on and after he finishes up his three or four gives the ball to the catcher this dude books it dead sprint to the bullpen cool next inning he books it from the bullpen down into catch after that he books it back i mean it's like it's not excessive and being like okay that's too much dude but it's like a, it's a good sprint right i mean he's he's locked in mentally focused he's up there he gets a couple opportunities to get some hits next thing you know he gets he gets walk-on opportunity at a division one to be a bullpen catcher to start earns an opportunity to play eventually for the next couple of years never goes and plays pro ball but guess what this dude got four years of college at a, at a mid-major d1 due to his hustle because you never know who's watching in the stands and who likes your style for all the athletes out there, you guys play in so many competitive tur tournaments, both male and female, and you are all over the place, right? And so um, the more that we try to be somebody that we're not, the worse we're going to be ourselves. And so we got to be ourselves first and foremost. And then secondly, hey, if they're there to watch that picture, that might be my opportunity. If they're street clothes and nobody knows who that person is, but it's really a, a pretty powerful coach or whatever it might be, like they're watching, right? People are watching all the time. And so um, for the athletes out there, man, just be yourself, play your game, and have fun. Right. It's a good opportunity, not obligation that I have to go to these things. And you get to go to these big tournaments, and all these national showcase things and playing in your program. I know they do. That's a blessing. You're lucky to do that. Right. Treat yeah. it as a blessing and as a great opportunity. First, oh, I have to be here. It sucks. What if I don't get seen? Um, that's actually a really good point on like social media and the noise. Yeah. Would, would you recommend like deleting it off their phone for the season? I mean, I hate to say it because well, like I'm, I'm big on like recruiting purposes, like posting your videos on there and everything like that. But you could totally do that on the desktop. Like 
just eliminate the complete noise out of the whole season so you don't have to see see that crap and then post when you need to post post a ghost and just well, just let it go honestly honestly i was going to ask you because i i'm stealing that phrase eliminate the noise and be yourself from you just so you know so i'm going to steal that and <laughs> that's, that's copyright, Dave. You, you, owe, you owe my five bucks every time you say it. But while you were saying that, I envisioned myself saying that to a young man who's immersed himself in social media. Who's they're all about it, right? And they're always listening to so many wrong voices and so many wrong things. And I started thinking to myself, okay, I say that to that young man or woman, and they're going to look at me and be like, "Yeah, but how?" So what? What would you give, like, from a practical standpoint? Like, how would you tell them to pivot from that? So good. Those are spot on. So the, the deleting it, if that works for you, that's great. Now, how many of our, our young 14 to 18-year-old student athletes are going to delete Snapchat and TikTok? Ah, that's tough. But what some of them do is, is so the first step really is like audit your time, right? And so an exercise we'll do, we did with the football team right before COVID, well, during COVID, and 100 athletes, and like, hey, check your your screen time. Everybody's going to check it, right? Mine's still pretty high because I, I, I work on it. I do too much mindless scrolling too, right? But mine's like four or five hours a day. For these kids, the average was over six hours a day. These were students <laughs> who were in school, by the way, on Zoom for four, six to six hours. And one kid had 10 and a half hours, and he said, his reason, my girlfriend loves to FaceTime. I'm like, dude, you need to get a new girlfriend or stop FaceTiming. I don't know. Uh, but all jokes aside, it's like we can set time limits on our apps. So maybe you set five minutes on your Twitter a day, and you got five minutes to go on. You can do all your five-minute scrolling, 10-minute scrolling, great. But once it hits that, it's not gonna, it's going to lock you out. And maybe your mom or dad has the password or your coach if you trust the coach or sibling. Um, and so that's been beneficial for a couple of our guys. And we had a dude – He's really good on the mound, got hurt, but um, unfortunately, but he's going to a good school. He's going to be probably get drafted this year. And he puts a 10-minute time limit on all his apps. And he says, sometimes it sucks because I want to get back on Instagram at 1230 at night. But guess what? Now I can't. So what do I do? I got to do something else. Or I got to read or I got to do homework or maybe I just go to bed and I just get to sleep and I don't scroll up for, for this long and then compare myself to all the other arms in the country. And so uh, I don't know. I think just setting barriers, right? And it comes from a good conversation with either your coaches or your parents or both, right? I think parents can can help with that. And, and it, it shouldn't be like a destructive thing. Like, hey, you're you're spending too much time. Stop this. Like, hey, let's be pressed about this proactive. Let's take, let's go 10 minutes a day and start on your Snapchat. You got 60 minutes a day to spend on your apps total, whatever apps you have. Cool. Once the time it hits, and you might even recognize really quickly how little you really care about those things. And then the other piece is, I know it's hard because you don't like your parent to post for you all the time, but um, maybe you just, if it's if it's an issue for you, then maybe we make some adjustments because you need to be posting. I, I really believe that. Like so many athletes get seen via just a Twitter scroll and, and, and retweet, which is really cool. It's amazing. So maybe you just have your parents posted out there or somebody else posted out there for you on your account versus you getting on there if it's a really big issue for you. But I just know that it just defeats so many people's confidence. Um, I hear it all the time working with these guys and girls, and I'm like, I guess I'd feel the same way too if I lived in this age at your age because I feel this way in my own right field, right? Let alone what you guys are doing. And it's even more magnified because you haven't gotten to any of your goals or dreams yet. So um, yeah, just putting barriers and right? being smart about it um, and understanding yourself. I right? having some good self-awareness. Set a limit. Hey, first 30 minutes of the day, no phone. Last 30 minutes of the day, no phone. Cool. Simple, actionable step, but it changes a lot. That little thing makes it become a big thing for your life. I always go back and forth and like, man, I wish I was playing during this time because 
I could brand the crap out of myself. <laughs> but then I also, but then I also am thinking like, man, I absolutely hate scrolling because I know exactly <laughs> what they're dealing with because that would suck. You're <laughs> spot on. Dude. It's it's a double edged sword, man. Like I feel bad for the person that doesn't know how to brand themselves and like they're they're more introverted. I'm more extroverted in general because like if you're introverted and you have the apps and you're a good baseball player and then you're scrolling and you're seeing like the 13 year old that's getting all the love, you're just going to get so mad. That's going to put you in this dark hole. But like, if you're an extrovert and you know how to brand yourself, this is like prime time. Like this is for you. Let's go. <laughs> right. You are cashing in and, and, and no better time to do it. I mean, take advantage. Why not? Oh, I know. Like, especially with these NIL deals and like, even, even high in. school guys, <laughs> high school guys are now start. I think Missouri is one of the few States that now, um, high school guys can get NIL deals. Well, it's, it's basically like, if you sign as a senior, the minute you sign, that school can start to pay you. Yeah. Like, I yeah. I would start working on my, my Twitter game yeah. and working on my TikTok game and just being like those twins from Fresno uh, State. <laughs> And just like dancing and doing something like crazy and still do it, still, still doing, doing my job, job, still yep. working, still getting my skill set up and still playing, still having fun. But man, you could, you could really cash in if you, if you know how to brand yourself. So, but Austin, man, this has been an awesome conversation. Um, like we have to get you back on again. Uh, there, there was just a lot of, a lot of bombshells there, a lot of value, I think from, um, a standpoint from the mental side, but also it took a lot of cool twists and turns, um, with, with the recruiting side. So I appreciate it. Um, give us, uh, give us a shout out on your handles and where people can reach you. And then if there's any coaches that want to like book you, um, or directors that want to book you, uh, go ahead and give your information out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, thank you guys for having me on too. This has been a blast. Uh, so any social media platform uh, at Major League University or at Austin Byler. Fortunately, Twitter, I don't know what happened, but it only took Major University. Never, It, it, it didn't want the league, I guess. So um, anywhere at Twitter, Major League University, uh, Twitter's Major University and the MajorLeagueUniversity.com. Um, we got YouTube rolling too. If you want to book us, MajorLeagueUniversity.com or just email us uh, at info at MajorLeagueUniversity.com or just reach out to us on our social media platforms where we're pretty active on all those too and you do like one-on-one -on -one calls too right one-on-one -on -one calls zoom sessions zoom sessions uh, all the above so um yeah anything really on, on that end cool um guys that's this episode of the closing pitch uh you can follow me at spiker helms on twitter you can follow dave at david underscore berkby um and we will catch you in the next episode thanks guys thanks, thanks.